Good morning, church. It's so very good to see you this morning. Thank you for being part of our worship assembly, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I just couldn't help but, but think as I heard every song that we sung, every prayer that was prayed, John's thoughts before we broke the bread and shared the cup, every scripture that was read this morning, it's exactly why I love you so very much and love being part of what God is doing in the world. Isn't it amazing? Do you ever just kind of stop and just think that God is letting you be part of what he is doing in the world right now? That may not shock you like it shocks me, but it shocks me. When I was in middle school and high school, you know, when they picked teams, I always hated picking teams. Like, I hated that. When they'd say, okay, we're going to divide up. You're a team captain. You're a team captain. We're going to pick teams. I always hated that because I didn't get picked for any teams. But God wants me to be on his team and a part of what he's doing in the world. And he wants you to be part of his team and part of what he's doing in the world. And all of this, every time we gather together, is a reminder that God is doing amazing things in the world and he is inviting you to be a part of that. In fact, that's what this series about Pentecost is all about, that Pentecost means, here's what Pentecost means, Pentecost means that we're more than future recipients of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We're present participants. We're more than future recipients of heaven's kingdom. We are present participants right now. Right now, yes, there's a sense in which we will in the future receive the kingdom of heaven, but right now, right now, God's future kingdom is breaking into the world in the present and has been since the day of Pentecost, that all of God's future promises are beginning to come true right now in the present. And you not only get to experience those, you get to participate in those. You get to be a part of bringing God's future promises to reality in the present tense. And let's just be clear about what God's future promises are. That as we read through the prophets, as we listen to what God has always promised his people, that God promises that there will be a day when he will rid creation of all evil and that he will fill all that is with his goodness. And we look forward to that day, don't we? Amen? Where God rids the world of all evil and he fills all that is with goodness. And we believe that since the day of Pentecost, that those promises are beginning to come true, even right now, where God is ridding creation of evil and filling it with his goodness. But that, I mean, that really makes us ask, like, it's been 2,000 years, right? This kingdom seed, this mustard seed that was planted then and has been growing since then, still not come to complete fruition, right? Because we look around and we say, I don't know, there's still a lot of 
evil. And some of us have been of late getting kind of overwhelmed with it. You're just kind of overwhelmed with all the evil in the world, right? And you just kind of look around and you say, Lord, come quickly. I'm tired. I'm tired of it. Deal with it. All of it. Get rid of all of the evil in the world. We're ready. We're ready to be done with all of the brokenness. We're, we're ready to be done with all of the hate. We're ready to be done with all the bitterness. We're ready to be done with all the sin. We're ready to be done with all the evil. Amen? We get kind of tired sometimes, don't we? But it, it kind of reminds me of when a couple kids are fighting. My kids would never do that. But, uh, you know, when a couple kids are fighting... And, and, and they, they call for mom or they call for dad. Dad, come in here, deal with this. Mom, come in here, deal with this. Sometimes, sometimes you don't know what you're asking for, right? Because when mom and dad have to get involved, the person you thought was going to get in trouble might include you, right? And, and here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Here's the question as we think about if this is true, if ever since the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, the future kingdom of God has been breaking into the world and we are able to not only experience it, but begin to participate in it, that God is ridding the world of evil and filling the world with goodness. And one day, one day, the world will completely and totally and utterly be dealt with and all evil will be taken away. And all the goodness of God will fill the earth. If, if that's true, then we have to ask questions like, when God does finally and completely rid the world of evil, what will he do with me? I mean, it's one thing to say, God, deal with all of the evil in the world. And God says, well, some of it's in you. Some of it's in you. Do we know what we're asking for when we say, God, judge the world. God, deal with the world. God, deal with the evil. God, deal with the brokenness. God, deal with the sin. God, deal with the hate. God, deal with the bitterness. And God says, yes, I'm trying to, and some of it's in you. See, that's, that's what Peter's sermon at Pentecost is all about. Because both then... 2,000 years ago and today, some of the people that are crying most loudly, God, deal with the evil in the world, are some of the people that God needs to deal with. And some of those people might be me or you or us. We've got to ask the question, when God finally rids the world completely of evil, what will he do with me? On whose side do I stand? Am I really under God's rule and reign? Am I really participating in Jesus' kingdom? Or, or do I stand in rebellion to him? Because on the day where God finally does rid the world completely of evil, some of the people... Some of the people that will face God's judgment will be those that were crying, God, come deal with the evil. Because some of them are in rebellion to God's rule and God's reign. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, not a, not a fun thing to think about, but something we have to think about. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Now, of course, 
leading up to this last couple of weeks, we've talked about the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes, fills the new temple. And the new temple are the people of God. The followers of Jesus are the temple of God. Jesus is reigning as king over heaven and earth. And the, the apostles and the 120 disciples probably are speaking in tongues. And, and there's this great noise of wind. And people wonder what's going on. And they hear the mighty works of God being proclaimed in every language. And they're thinking, what is happening? And some marvel and some mock. And the mockers say, ah, they're probably just drunk, right? They just probably had too much to drink. And here's Peter's response to that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14 But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So Peter is saying to them exactly what we've been talking about. The future promises of God are becoming a present reality. In fact, Peter even adds the words in the last days to Joel's prophecy. He adds those words in the last days. Because that was the idea that Joel was putting forth that eventually at the end, at the end, this is what's going to happen. God's going to deal with evil. God's going to deal and he's going he's to come in judgment upon evil. But he's also going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and this is the, these are the types of things that are going to happen at the end. And so Peter starts his sermon by saying, this is it. This is it. These are the last days. This is the end. This is the end we were waiting for and hoping for and longing for and looking for. The end that God promised was going to come. This is it. These are the last days. It's so funny to me sometimes people say, are these the last days? Are these the last days? I want to say, the last days started 2,000 years ago. This is, this is the end. This is the culmination. These are the promises of God. The world and the evil in the world has been coming to an end since this day. The evil in the world has been coming to an end. God has been dealing with and coming in judgment upon all of the evil and the wickedness and the sin in the world through Jesus, through his spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel ever since the day of Pentecost. God has been filling the world with his spirit and his goodness ever since the day of Pentecost. Yes, there's going to be a final culmination of that where Jesus comes and raises the dead and everything is finally and ultimately dealt with. But that process began on the day of Pentecost. And that's how Peter begins his sermon. And he says, Joel said this was going to be the sign that this is, this is it. This is God's judgment. This is the, these are the final days. This is, this is how it all comes to an end. When you see this happening, that God pours out his spirit and old men and young men and men and women and rich and poor, everybody is prophesying, you're going to know this is it. This is the day we were looking for. 
This is the day we were longing for. But here's the thing. Just because you were looking for it, just because you were longing for it, doesn't mean you were necessarily prepared for it. It says in verse 19, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's saying to them, this is it. This is the judgment day. This is the judgment day. The, the judgment day is beginning. The judgment, the end, the promises. This is what Joel said was going to happen, and it's beginning to happen. And so you've got to ask yourself, are you taking refuge in the Lord? Because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But those who don't, those who are in rebellion to him, will face God's judgment, will face God's wrath. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, some of the people in this crowd, this crowd of thousands of people, some of them may have been there and witnessed what happened to Jesus Many of them may have been among those who said, crucify him, crucify him, nail him to a cross. But God is going to judge the whole people, the whole city, the whole generation who is in rebellion to him. Peter's saying, this is it. This is it. This is the end we were looking for. You, you wanted God to, to deal with evil. You wanted God to deal with sin. You wanted God to deal with the rebellious. You wanted God to deal with the wicked. And guess what? When God sent his son, you nailed him to a cross. You used wicked and lawless men to nail him to a cross and crucify him. What side of judgment do you think that puts you on? You wanted God to deal with wicked people and this is who you proved yourself to be. You collectively crucified him. And you're guilty because you stand in rebellion to God's rule and God's reign. He says in verse 25, For David says concerning him, concerning the Messiah, concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. I wish we had time to read Psalm 116 that, that Peter is quoting from. But he's saying when David said these things, and if you read it, you think, well, David's talking about himself. He's saying, since I am God's holy one, 
Since God loves me, he will protect me. He will preserve me. He won't love death. He will rescue me. He will save me. And Peter says, yeah, that's kind of true about David, but ultimately, not really. Not really why. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So David was stoppable. David was shakable. David was mortal. And so these words ultimately aren't fulfilled in David. Peter says these words are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus is unstoppable. Jesus is unshakable. Jesus is immortal. And God would not let him stay in the tomb, but raised him from the dead. Death could not hold him. So when David spoke these words, he was prophetically saying them about someone else, someone who would come, someone that God would not allow his flesh to see corruption, would not abandon his soul to Hades, would rescue him, someone who was unshakable, someone who was unstoppable, someone who was immortal. And Peter says, that's Jesus. Jesus is the unshakable one. Jesus is the unstoppable one. Jesus is the immortal one that God has raised to life. David, is, you can go see his tomb if you want to. You could dig it up and his bones are still there. But Jesus is not in his tomb because Jesus is unstoppable. Jesus is unshakable. Jesus is now immortal. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, to David, that he would set one of his descendants, David's descendants, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. God raised him from the dead. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the Holy One. Now imagine, here's this crowd of thousands of people, and they would not, they would not, you couldn't pay them enough money to say something bad about David, right? I mean, David, the patriarch, David, the king, David, the, the one that was a man after God's own heart, we wouldn't say a word against David, but what did you do to Jesus, who's better than David, who's stronger than David? David is dead and buried. But Jesus lives, and Jesus reigns. Jesus is unshakable. Jesus is unstoppable. Jesus is the immortal Messiah, and you killed him. You crucified him. You nailed him to a cross. Church, it's so easy for us to be self-deceived, isn't it? For us to say, I would never do that. I respect God's anointed one. I respect God's holy one. And then when the holy one shows up, they murdered him. And Peter says, this is the one. He's the one that David was pointing to. He's more David than David. He's more anointed than David. He's more holy than David. He's more unshakable than David. He's more unstoppable than David. And you wouldn't say anything bad about David, but you nailed David's descendant, Jesus, to the cross. Verse 33, being therefore exalted 
At the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself, David, says, the Lord, that is Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adon, my my master, Yahweh said to my master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Again, I wish we could go and read Psalm 110. Go read it for yourself and listen to what Peter's saying. He's saying, this is the one. Because David had said, at at some point, Yahweh is going to say to my Lord. And that's interesting when a king says something like that, right? When King David said, at some point, Yahweh is going to say to my master, to my king, to my Lord, come, sit at my right hand. And I'm going to make all of your enemies your footstool. We're going to subjugate the whole world together. Yahweh and my master. Yahweh and my king. Yahweh and my Lord are together going to subjugate all of their enemies. They're going to bring all of their enemies under their feet. And that all sounded good, right? I mean, the people in this crowd, they were longing for that day. Oh, we can't wait till the Messiah sits at Yahweh's right hand and subjugates the world and brings the world under God's rule. Oh, we can't wait for that day. And what's Peter saying? Who are the enemies that God is going to bring under the feet of the Messiah? Y'all are. All y'all. Y'all are the ones who crucified him. You're the ones who rebelled against him. You said you loved the Lord. You, You said you worshiped the Lord. You said you were longing for the Messiah. You said you wanted God to deal with evil and wickedness and sin. And then when he sent his son, you were the ones who crucified him. You were the ones who rebelled against his rule and reign. So yes, God is fulfilling his promises. His Messiah is sitting at his right hand, and he's going to bring the whole world and all of his enemies under his feet, one way or the other. One way or the other, everyone is going to bow. One way or the other, everyone is going to be brought in subjection to God's anointed one. So he says in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Those are heavy words, aren't they? This guy you crucified a couple months ago, he is now the new ruler of the universe. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. Caesar answers to him. The high priest answers to him. The Sanhedrin has no authority on him. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and everybody answers to him. He's the unshakable one. He's the unstoppable one. He's the immortal one. He's the one sitting at Yahweh's right hand, and he's going to bring the whole world into subjection to himself. And it starts now. It starts now. This new rule, this new reign, it starts now. And y'all are the ones who crucified him. I mean, it would be scary, wouldn't it? To be scary, to realize, I thought I was on the right side. I thought I was doing good. I thought I was God's people, but it turns out 
We were the ones who crucified him. We were the ones who pierced him. We were the ones who struck him down. We were the ones who put him in a tomb and God brought him out of the tomb and now he's the ruler of the universe. It's time to change your tune. It's time to change your ways. It's time to change your life. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, this is, this is the message that went out to the whole world. The shocking and amazing message that there's a new king in town. There's a new king of the universe, and he's going to reign forever, and he's going to deal with all the evil. He's going to get rid of all the evil, and he's going to fill his creation with God's goodness. And everyone who rebels against him, and everyone who stands opposed to him, and every enemy of his, he's going to bring under his feet. And here's how he's going to do it by declaring the same message that's always been declared, that the Lord, the Lord our God, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that he forgives sins. So here's how he's going to deal with his enemies. He's going to say to them, I love you. I died for you. And you can have forgiveness, pardon. I'll take it away. You won't be my enemy anymore. You'll be my friend. You'll be my family. You'll be my brother. You'll be my sister. You'll be mine. I will love you. I will raise you to life and you will experience the same glory I experienced. You'll reign with me and I will give you my Holy Spirit even right now in the present tense. I will give you my spirit. You'll be on my team. Here's what you need to do. Not climb a tall mountain, not slay a dragon, not walk across burning coals. Repent. Stop rebelling against my rule and my reign. And be baptized. And I'll forgive your sins and I'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing that this king is beginning to bring the, the world under his rule and reign. Not by killing, destroying his enemies, but by pardoning his enemies, by forgiving them, by loving them, by offering them forgiveness. If they'll only repent, be baptized, become part of what he's doing in the world. And this is the message that has gone out for 2,000 years. This is the message, this is the means by which God has begun already in the present tense to take evil out and to bring goodness in is through the proclamation of this good news. This good news that Jesus is king, that God's anointed one rules and reigns, and that he's dealing with his enemies. And praise God, he's dealing with his enemies not in violence, but in love, in bringing his enemies to himself and forgiving their sins. And that's what's happened with us, isn't it? That's, that's why we're here. It says in verse 40, 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That generation that Peter was preaching to, they would suffer the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be completely destroyed by the Romans. They were wicked and crooked, but so has every generation since. This generation that lives now, we didn't murder the Messiah. We didn't crucify him. But this generation that lives now in this country and all over the world, this generation is in rebellion to God's rule and reign through King Jesus. And this is the question. Will you save yourselves from this crooked generation? Will you repent and say, I don't, I don't want to do things the, world, the way the world does things anymore. I don't want to live in rebellion to God's rule and reign. I want to be on his side. I want God to begin to deal with the evil and take the evil out and bring the goodness in. But that has to begin with us. So rather than asking, Rather than asking, why is, God, why is God being so slow dealing with the evil in the world? We should be asking, am I being slow dealing with the evil in me? It's really easy to ask, isn't it? God, why are you waiting so long? Why are you delaying? Why aren't you, why aren't you dealing with all of this evil and wickedness and pain and suffering and sin? And God is saying, I am dealing with it. I am dealing with it. I'm dealing with it through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus and through the Spirit. I'm dealing with it the way I'm dealing with it because I'm being patient. I'm being slow to anger. I'm being steadfast in my love for people because I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to call upon the name of the Lord. I want everybody to be saved. I want everybody to repent of their sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the way Jesus wants to bring the world into subjection to himself. And generation after generation after generation continues in their wickedness, in their evil, in their scheming, in their rebellion against God's rule. But some... Some have been saved out of those generations and will be raised to live forever when Jesus comes. When God finally rids the world of all evil and pain and suffering and even death itself and raises his people to live with him forever, on that day, where will you find yourself? So it's really easy for us to ask, why, why are you being slow? Why don't you deal with the evil? Maybe it is, maybe it is that God is asking us the same thing. What are you doing with the evil in you? Are you, are you really in subjection to him? Have you really surrendered yourself to him? Have you really repented of your sins? Are, are you really living for him? Are you allowing him to take away your evil and fill you with his spirit? Are you walking by his spirit? Because I know that some of us, some of us sitting in this room right now and some of us watching online right now are not living 
in subjection to King Jesus. We are living in rebellion to King Jesus. And so the, the plea that went out from Jerusalem is the same plea that's going out from McDermott Road right now. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God is going to deal with all the evil in the world. And right now, he's giving us an opportunity to deal with the evil in us. How will we respond to that? We're going to put a slide up, as we do every week. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to invite you to respond, maybe by coming forward, maybe by asking for prayers, maybe by being baptized. But all of us need to ask this question, am I being slow dealing with the evil in me? And if we can help you to ask that question, or to answer that question, or to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's what we're here to do because God's judgment has already begun. And God has already begun to deal with evil and fill the world with his goodness. And he's beginning and doing it and continuing it right here, right now. The question is, will we participate? Let's stand together and sing this song.